Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you again for Christmas and all that is encompassed in that, Lord, so much beyond what we can even imagine. And so, Lord, we are thankful. So help us to give you now the respect you deserve through the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, if you would. Um, well, I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 1, but before we do that, if you want to turn, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. For that matter, you don't have to do anything right now. Um, to Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 12. These are verses we've read before, so they're familiar to many of you. Paul tells the Philippians, says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Wait a minute. Who's working? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, we've talked about this many times. This is more than a theological exercise. But the truth is, we're working and God's working, right? The way it plays out is that God is at work and we're responsible. Is that fair? Yeah. Thank you. Now, having said that, maybe there's another way to look, for, look at it. Maybe. All right. I'm hitting it. I hit the up, guy up in the corner. Is Earl in the room? All right. There we go. I got it. Everybody? I don't either. But we're going to roll with it. Okay. What's that? Now, we avoid all controversy here, so I'll just point out the fact that from this angle, we can't tell if it's flat or not, because <laughs> we're looking at it two-dimensionally. Okay, I'm avoiding all controversy. Okay? Now, it's not videoing for me. There it goes. Everybody get the idea? Yeah. We get the idea? There we go. Hold on. Everybody get that? And then just to prove that we are ahead of the technological curve, the sign is outdated. All right? Now, is that a real picture? Could be AI. Could be AI. 
But I've told you before, AI can't do what I do, right? So uh, this is a real picture, yes or no? Yes, right? Is that a real picture? Go out and say yes. We'll go on a limb and say yes. Is that a real picture? That's a real picture. Okay, are both of them real picture? Are both of them... Is life happening in both pictures? Does that make sense? Everybody with me? We've done this, we've done this little exercise before, uh, usually with a little more technological smoothness, but uh, we'll take what we can get. Both of these are real. And I'm going to say that God works in you, right, both to will and to do for his good pleasure, and so therefore we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that make sense? And here's the problem. Here's, the, here's really the, the, the fundamental challenge of life, if you will. Getting that thing off. <laughs> that is the fundamental challenge of life. Can somebody smarter than me get that off? There you go. Okay, very good. Give it up for Titus. We live in what I'd call street view perspective on life. Do we not? And God works at what we might call Google Earth view. Does he not? Here's the kicker. God works at both. We only work at, at street view. Does that make sense? Yeah. So God does both, and our problem on earth is that we only see street view. God sees earth view and street view. We only see street view. And so we have to accept and learn and see the perspective maybe as God sees it. And as God sees it, helps us get better clarity. Does that make sense? If we only had street view, as most of the world does, it's a pretty depressing place. Is it not? If we had to come up with the solutions to life's problems on our own, then we are, frankly, pitiful. And I wouldn't give us a lot of optimism. But, as I was, and as I was saying earlier to somebody, you know, no civilization in all of history has been sustainable forever. Right? And so here we are. And yet, in our world as Christians, we have the privilege of being able to read God's Word and see sort of His Google Earth view and His street view. And God loves, here's the message of Christmas, God loves us so much that He came from Google Earth view to live in street view so He could get dirty just with the rest of us. Does that make sense? to live in an ugly world that we live in. It would have been great to sit on his high throne and say, yeah, you guys do this and this and this and this. He totally would have been justified in doing that, by the way, but he chose not to. He chose to come from Google Earth View down to Street View for our benefit. Does that make sense? So, 
we've been reading the book of Hebrews, so I thought, you know, Hebrews, as we talked about in the last several weeks, uh, is sort of a, the, the picture of how Jesus is really the fulfillment of so much of Old Testament history and all the Old Testament Jew, Jewish law and, and customs and all of that, that uh, Hebrews fills that. And so I thought, you know, how about we talk about Christmas in the context of that? Christmas in the context of Jesus really did a couple of things. And I want us to read Matthew chapter 1 as we talk about this. But Jesus, when he came to earth, he came from that Google Earth view down to street view for our benefit, okay? That's one piece of this. The other piece of this is Jesus fulfilled Old Testament everything. And we see from this little chapter of Matthew chapter 1, we see that really all of the Old Testament was to lead up to Jesus. All of the Old Testament points us to Jesus, and we see him fulfilled here in Matthew chapter 1. Does that make sense? And we see how he interacts with, and along the way, we see how he interacts with people on a street view kind of level. Fair enough? So you say, well, how does this work? Let me ask you, first, let me back up one, one second. If you were God, which is a bad way to start a sentence, but if you were God, and you were going to bring salvation to the world, and even if you... We're going to bring, you know, if you were going to manifest all of your godness into human form by the birth of your son to come to earth, and you're going to present your son to planet earth, how would you do it? You ever thought about that? You probably would do it somewhat like I would do it, okay? It's just for the sake of, so we don't have, you know, 100 answers blurted out. I'll just tell you mine, and you can tell me if you agree with me or not because you always do. I would bring like a cool chariot, right? Wouldn't it be a cool chariot? And I would bring the chariot, and there would be a big fanfare, and it would be, it would be awesome, right? And it would display my glory, right? And we'd say, that's what I'm talking about, Right? And I would bring this chariot and all the world would just bow down and it would be amazing and it would all point to, to me and my goodness. And everybody would say, whoa, dude, you are so far above us. Right? Is that what he did? He did the opposite. He did the opposite. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Are you kidding me? We're going to read the genealogy? Yes. <laughs> this is brilliant. This chapter is absolutely brilliant. <clears throat> so, Matthew was a Jew. We know this because his given name was Levi, which is an extremely Jewish name. So, Matthew, we know, was a Jew. So Matthew knows all of the Jewish mindset. The book of Matthew, of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew was written, intended for the Jewish audience. And so we get a flavor of sort of each of the four Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus, but Matthew gives us the one that's most geared towards the Jewish mindset. Like a lot of the Jewish customs, maybe he doesn't bother to explain them because he's assuming a Jewish reader. Does that make sense? And so... 
Matthew was very Jewish, and yet, interestingly, the end of the book of Matthew says, is Jesus giving the Great Commission to go into what? All the world, into all nations. And so Matthew really bridges sort of Judaism to all of the world. And so, uh, so Matthew is a great place to start. But Matthew himself, when he says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, what's he doing? He is saying Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And he's going to set that out and he's going to prove it. He starts it by saying he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the son of Abraham, we'll start with that. Genesis chapter 12, God spoke to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And he said, in you, in, that is in your seed, in your, uh, from your line, all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, the only way that can happen is for the Messiah to become, come from the line of Abraham. And so all the Jewish readers, all the Jewish readers, all the students of the Old Testament history, would have known that if we're looking for a Messiah, and they were looking for the Messiah, he's going to be first and foremost Jewish, right? That kind of makes sense. Well, there were lots of Jews in the world at this time. But this Jew is going to be from the line of Abraham through the line of King David. Now, where did they get that? Second Samuel chapter 7, you can turn there if you want. You don't, again, you don't have to. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God gives an interesting promise to King David, starting in verse 12. God tells David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. Now, the way prophecy works is he's, he may be talking about Solomon, he may be talking about some beyond Solomon. He said, I'll set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What's that word say? Forever. Did Solomon's kingdom last forever? There's only one person that's going to have a kingdom that lasts forever. Who's that going to be? It's going to be the Messiah. So the Jewish person would have known that if we're looking at the Messiah, we need to track this, this person down from the line of Abraham through the line of David. So what he's saying in verse 1, what Matthew's saying in verse 1 is, this is the book of the Messiah. This is the genealogy. I'm going to describe the line, and I'm going to demonstrate the line that goes from Abraham down through David to the Messiah Jesus that we have. And I'm going to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah. But here's what I love about, keep in mind, the Google Earth view versus the street view. When God describes this genealogy, I think it, some of the details I think really matter. He starts out, Abraham begot Isaac. How many words is that? Students, math students, Abraham begot Isaac. Was well, begot one word or two? One. Three words. Abraham begot Isaac. Fair enough? Can I suggest that that is a Google Earth view statement? You follow me? 
Abraham begot Isaac. In God's mind, I got Abe. I need to go down the line. Isaac's next. Very deliberate, very intentional, but that was God's perspective. Three words. I don't need no more than that. But God in his mercy gave us the Old Testament history so we can know what street view would have looked like when he says, Abraham begot Isaac. Well, what happened when Abraham begot Isaac? Well, we know from Genesis chapter 12 that when Abraham was 75 years old, God had said prior to that, get out of your country, go to, you know, or get out of Haran, go to your country. I'm going to establish, I'm going to make all these descendants and in your seed all the nation will be blessed. Genesis chapter 12. That was when he was 75 years old. So God told Abraham, you're going to have a son. As a matter of fact, you're going to have tons of descendants, and in your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So Abraham knew, as of Genesis chapter 12, prior to Genesis chapter 12 somewhere, that he was going to have a son that was going to be the line to the Messiah. Does that make sense? And so he was 75 years old at that time. When was that son born? 25 years later. Now that's street view. You ever waited 25 years for something? That's street view. What's God's view? Three words. Abraham begot Isaac. What's Abraham's street view? Well, you know, I thought I heard God, but lots happened here. A lot of time's gone on. Seems like nothing's happening. You ever feel like this? Is this us? I feel like nothing's happening. God, I thought God promised, but I'm not so sure. And, you know, Sarah, my wife, has this idea. Maybe God, I don't know, maybe he's asleep. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. Maybe God didn't mean just me and you have a son. Maybe God just meant you have a son. So let's get my Egyptian servant, Hagar, and you and her have a son. Abraham says, sure, whatever. Right? And then they have a son. His name is Ishmael. Right? And then God says, that's not what I meant. You and Sarah are going to have a son. And finally, after 25 years, after lots of baggage, after the whole Ishmael thing, which, by the way, the Arab and Israeli nations today are descendants of Isaac and Ishmael. Is there consequences of our baggage? Yeah, there's consequences of our baggage. Right? Is that street view stuff? That's street view stuff. Why do I make a big deal about that? It's because God knows our street view. He cares about our street view. But here's what I want us to see. In God's world, while you're waiting 25 years for something, while you're misinterpreting the word of God and you're reaping the consequence of it and you got now you got Sarah and Hagar that don't get along and you got Ishmael that's mocking your son Isaac when he's born and you got lots of baggage anybody ever had baggage waiting 25 years baggage yada 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 it just seems like a lot of work and God's perspective is Abraham begot Isaac. God's not stressed. God's not stressed. 
Abraham begot Isaac. Goes on. Isaac begot Jacob. How many words? You're all pros at this by now. Three. Nice. Isaac begot Jacob. Well, actually, Isaac begot Jacob and Esau. Right? Twins. Right? When did those boys start fighting? In the womb. You ever had family drama? I thought I might score a point on that one. Anybody know what family drama means when I say family drama? I mean, nobody in the back row knows what family drama means. Nobody in the, in the grand, oh, grandkids aren't in the room. They don't know, trust me when I say they don't know what family drama is, right? Sure, we all know what family drama is. And so does God. Isaac actually begot Jacob and Esau. Lots of stories. Esau was the firstborn. He was supposed to be the one that in the line, but he forfeited that privilege, right? And, um, you know, God knew best. God knew that it was going to be uh, Jacob, right? And Esau was, a, was kind of a goof. Esau turned bitter, uh, lots of deception, lots of family drama, lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff, right? What does God say? Isaac begot Jacob. And really, this is the point of today. We have lots of street view drama, don't we? And thank God that it doesn't stop there. Thank God it doesn't stop there. We have lots of street view drama. And God is able to say, Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Right? You want to hear more? Thank you. <laughs> Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Whoa. We're up to six words. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. We're up to six words now. It's getting a little more complicated. Is the story not, uh, complicated? Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Is that story complicated? That story's complicated. That story's crazy complicated. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Now, in this case, one of his brothers was a guy by the name of Joseph, Right? The other brothers hated Joseph. They were going to kill him because he was daddy's favorite, right? And so instead of killing him, it's actually Judah that said, quote, so Judah said to his brothers, Genesis 36, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Hey, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. There were some traders going down, on, migrating down to Egypt. Let's sell him down to Egypt. We won't have to worry about him ever again. We won't have, to, we won't have his, the guilt of his blood on our hands, and he'll be gone forever out of our life, right? So you know the story, right? Yep, sure enough, he goes down to Egypt. Sure enough, he gets sold into slavery. Sure enough, he winds up 
being mistreated by his slave owner and lots of deception and all that kind of stuff there. Lots of drama, by the way. He winds up in prison. He goes to, he's in prison for a while. He s- interprets some dreams. One of the guys that's there in prison, he in- correctly interprets the dream and is restored to uh, his position before Pharaoh. And he says, hey, don't forget that I interpreted your dream when you get there. He's like, sure, I got your back. He forgets. And I think two years later, Pharaoh himself has a dream, and this guy says, oh, yeah, I remember there's a guy in prison that interprets dreams right? And long story short, Joseph rises to prominence. He's second only to Pharaoh himself in a time of uh, feast of seven years and then famine of seven years. Joseph is the, the main guy that orchestrates uh, the, the storage of, of grain during those seven years of plenty so that they'll have grain during the seven years of famine. And oh, by the way, guess who else has famine during those seven years? His family, his father and his brothers and actually a sister there, right? And all their extended family. All remember the drama? Lots of drama, right? Well, now all of a sudden they come to Egypt and they don't recognize Joseph. And Joseph says, hey, go back and get your youngest brother. And Jacob back home says, I already lost Joseph because they told him that Joseph was killed. I already lost Joseph. I can't lose another one. And it's Judah. It's Judah that says, I'm going to stand in the, in the gap for him. If, if Benjamin, the youngest brother, if Benjamin doesn't come back, it's on me. And actually, when they go down to Egypt and, jo- and they come before Joseph and all this kind of stuff, and, and uh, it's a long story, but Joseph threatens to hold Benjamin hostage. And it's Judah who offers himself as a substitute for Benjamin. What's that picture of? Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, Jesus starts in Genesis, and we follow Jesus all the way through, right? And here he is, uh, so described, so well described in Matthew chapter 1. Yep, so God reads that. Yeah, Jacob got, got Judah and his brothers. Oh, by the way, speaking of drama, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Now, this one's PG-13, so i got to give you like an overview. Right? So we're reading, through the, we're reading through the history, the Old Testament history, that whole story about Joseph that I just described to you, and all of a sudden, stuck in the middle there, Genesis chapter 38, it's like the book of, it's a history book, and then it's like, abruptly pauses the history to give us another uh, sort of detailed chapter about Judah. And long story short, Judah begot Perez and Zerah, twins, by Tamar. Tamar happens to be his his daughter-in-law who poses as a harlot and tricks him into sin. Remember the part where I just said, if you were God, how would you present your son to the world? Would you put that story in there? Think about it. Would you put that story in there? I wouldn't. That wouldn't be a part of my fanfare. You know, there's a part of your family history that maybe you you might just overlook a little bit, right? God gave us an exquisitely detailed chapter of Genesis 38 
And he references it here in the genealogy of Jesus. God doesn't want us to forget it. Why does God not want us to forget that ugly story? Because God meets us where we're at. Whatever it is that you're worried about today, whatever it is that you're concerned about today, whatever it is you're waiting 25 years for, whatever it is you got family drama, whatever it is brothers hating brothers, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is, God meets you right there. God meets you right there every time. Every time. Whether you feel like it or not. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. You know, in the, Old Testament, in the, in the ancient world during the, the time, the first century, when Jesus came to earth, the testimony of women was not valid in court. It was a male-dominated society, world back then, right? The testimony of a woman was not legitimate in court. Now, does that reflect the heart of God? No, because God puts women in this genealogy very deliberately, I believe. And not just women. There are four women in this, in this story we're going to read about. The first one is Tamar, who poses as a harlot. The second one is Rahab, who's also a harlot. The third one is Ruth, who is a Moabite, the enemies of the Jews. And the fourth is Bathsheba, whose name is not even mentioned. The adulteress of David. Would you include that? If you're writing, like, your awesome entrance into the world? God meets us where we're at. God totally meets us where we're at. So, Judah begot Perez by Zerah and Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. So it goes on down the line. And verse 4, Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Salmon. And so in Numbers chapter 2, if you care, uh, when the Israelites were counted by the tribes, remember the tw- there were 12 tribes, and they, when they set up their camps, they each had a leader of the tribes. Uh, Nashon was the, tri- was the leader of the tribe of Judah. And so we can trace this line uh, and validate it in the Old Testament uh, history from, from here. Validate this through the Old Testament history. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. All right? So Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. That's five words. But check this out. Rahab was a harlot in the city of Jericho. She lived in a house that was a part of the city wall. Right? The people of Jericho knew that the Israelites were coming, knew that they had conquered a couple of pretty mighty kings on the other side of the Jordan River, knew that they were coming. Rahab got wind of it, and she said, your God is awesome. When the spies came in to spy out Jericho, she, she, she housed them there. She hid them. She took great risk for the sake of their God, that she wanted to be her God, right? Does living the Christian life sometimes take risk? Yes, it does. Does God meet us where we're at? Yes, he does. Did God take care of Rahab? Yes, yes he did. Does God take care of us? Yes, yes he does. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. 
Some say Salmon was one of the spies. That's more legend than anything else. There's no good proof of that. But again, a picture of God's grace. Rahab hears about God. She chooses to repent of her life of harlotry, chooses to serve God. And notice, please catch this. She chooses to say, I want to serve your God. I don't want to be a harlot. And God doesn't make her jump through any religious hoops. You know, we all have things that we regret. We all have things that we'd like to sort of bury in our past. Right? And I love the picture of Rahab that her new life started that day. God didn't say, now wait a minute, let's get a couple things straight first of all. Right? It didn't work that way. God just received her. And God just receives us when we call out to him. So it's a beautiful picture of God's grace. And it goes on, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Right? Boaz begot, Rah- begot Obed by Ruth. Now, Ruth was a Moabite. She was over in the enemy nation of, of Moab when uh, her mother-in-law came, and it's a long story, but they were over in, uh, she and her mother-in-law and her sister-in-law were over in the land of Moab uh, because there was a famine, and they all three became widowed. And long story short, the mother-in-law decides she's going to come back to the land of Judah because she hears there's grain in the land now. And one sister-in-law doesn't, chooses to stay in Moab. Ruth chooses to come with her because she said, I want your God to be my God. So it doesn't matter where you go. Where you go, I'll go. I want your God to be my God. That was the heart of Ruth. Ruth wanted to serve. It didn't matter if she was a Moabite. And apparently didn't matter to God because he includes her in this genealogy, right? And so uh, when Ruth comes back, she's there with her mother-in-law and she goes out to, you know, they need to eat, right? And her mother-in-law is older. So Ruth is the younger one and she goes out to glean grain behind the reapers which is kind of their it was sort of their charity program in that culture right the reapers don't you know they kind of round off the corners a little bit when they're harvesting and the and the the poor people can can go behind them and glean the the grain right and Ruth is doing that just gleaning the grain right you might call that mundane work would you call that mundane work I call it mundane. Would you wonder, like, what's the point of this? Like, you came back from Moab just to kind of come along with your mother-in-law, and now you're just out in the field every day, getting hot and sweaty, walking behind a bunch of farmers, picking up grain. Seems kind of mundane, don't you think? Does your street view life ever feel mundane? You ever wonder what... What's the significance of what I'm doing? You think Ruth felt that way? I think Ruth felt that way. What's the point of all this? Well, many of you know the story. She gets noticed by an old rich guy. You've got to love old rich guys in the Bible. She gets noticed by an old rich guy. 
Next thing you know, they fall in love. And we have Obed. That's a great story. Right? What's, to me, what sticks in my heart, Ruth is out there faithfully doing what she knows she has to do today in her street view world because it's the right thing to do. Right? You think she goes out there and says, you know, in the ancient world, they don't have hipster bars. So I think I'm going to go out in the field and find some old rich dude. Did she do that? Was that what she was thinking? Well, humor me and say, no, that's not what she was thinking. She was thinking, you know what? We just need some grain around here. I'm going to go pick up some grain for my mother-in-law and me to survive. And if your street view world ever seems mundane, please catch this. I am so passionate about this. If your street view world seems mundane, if you're doing what God has called you to do, it is sacred. It is divinely orchestrated and sacred. And don't let anybody take anything away from that. It's not mundane. It's part of God's plan. If you're doing what God has called you to do, and to be fair, that's hard to sort out sometimes, right? We can sit around and kind of read ink blots and try to figure out what God's calling us to do and all that, right? Sometimes it's, not, sometimes it's just doing what needs to be done. Sometimes it's doing the dishes, right? Ruth is picking up grain. Sometimes you go pick up grain in life. Sometimes you do the dishes in life. That's what Ruth is doing, and it's sacred. Don't miss that, please. God notices, just like Boaz noticed, and God cares, infinitely greater than Boaz cared. And Jesse begot David the king. This might be my favorite. Jesse begot David the king. Five words, right? That's how God sees it, right? Many of you know the story. God told Samuel, the prophet, hey, I want you to go to Jesse's house in Bethlehem and there you'll find the next king of Israel. And I want you to anoint him king. And Jesse says, that's awesome. Can you believe one of my sons is going to be the next king? And Samuel says, yeah, I can believe one of your sons is going to be the next king. Am I getting dramatic? One of your sons is going to be the next king, right? So Jesse lines up his sons. And the first one's dashing or whatever. Samuel says, oh, I bet it's that guy. God says, no, you're looking at the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. And one by one, he goes through all seven of them. And Samuel's like perplexed because God didn't pick any of them. And he's a prophet. And prophets are supposed to like know stuff. And he knows that God told him to come to Jesse's house and anoint the next king. And he knows that he's gone down all the line of, these seven, of, of all of Jesse's sons and says, God doesn't say yes to any of them. 
And Samuel's perplexed and he says, is this all you got? Picture this. I'm a little sensitive to this because I was the youngest of three sons. My outs didn't count. Right? You're picking up baseball. You're picking sides for baseball. Who wants Scott? I'm not taking him. Well, I'm not taking him. All right, fine. We'll take him. But his outs don't count. Nobody's talking about if my runs count, right? Because that's not going to happen. My outs don't count, right? So after seven sons, Jesse's like, you know what? I do have another son. We left him outside. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine David's street view? You ever felt like you were unnoticed in your street view? Ever felt insignificant? Imagine the prophet. And by the way, Samuel's a pretty famous guy by this time as a prophet. He's the prophet in Israel. The prophet is coming to your house. And not only is the prophet coming to your house, your pro the prophet is coming to the house to anoint the next king. And your dad, like, forgets to invite you in. I can't get my head around that. I always tell my kids, you know, someday I hope you're not laying on a psychiatrist's couch talking about this moment, right? <laughs> if I were David, I'd be laying on a psychiatrist's couch for the rest of my life talking about that moment. It'd be hard for me to be an overcomer. It'd be hard for me to slay Goliath. I'd be like, grab that rock, start to like, you know, you come at me with sword and spear, but wait a minute, I had a hard childhood. I was the forgotten one. That's just harsh. It's just harsh. In your street view, in the eyes of God, no one, hear this, no one is insignificant. In your street view, in the eyes of God, no one is insignificant. You see what we got in this genealogy? Waiting 25 years? No problem. Fighting with your brother from the womb? No problem. Getting sold as a slave and forgotten in prison? No problem. Forgotten by your own father when the prophets come into town? No problem. You get this? This is how God sees your life. Doing mundane work and thinking, why am I doing this? No problem. David begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Her who had been the wife of Uriah, who is not named, mentioned by name, is Bathsheba. Well, again, this is another ugly story that if I were writing my biography, I'd probably leave this one out, right? J uh, David's 
being a little sloppy in his duties, he goes out on the porch, happens to notice the neighbor woman bathing out on her rooftop, right? And most commentators would say, you got to wonder, did she happen to know that she might get noticed by the king? So was she a victim or not? Probably both, honestly. David sees her. David wants her. Next thing you know, she's pregnant. And David kills her husband in a conspiracy. You ever had anything like that happen to you? You ever felt like maybe you're a victim of circumstances beyond your control because somebody else was manipulative or or something like that, and you just didn't get a fair end of the deal? You ever felt like that? Bathsheba, no doubt, would have felt that way, right? God knows. God knows. And what do we see? She's, you know, David had 19 sons by eight wives, and Bathsheba is the one that gets she and her son in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot uh, Abijah. Abijah. Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. And Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Ammon. And Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried off to Babylon. Raise your hand if you were worried that I was going to go three words at a time through all of that. Gotcha. That was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, so, uh, so the line goes on down, right? By this time, by this time, the time from Solomon to the time of captivity in Babylon is basically a time of pretty steady, with a few bright spots, but pretty steady, slow moral decay. To the point there's so much moral decay in the nation of Judah at this time. The northern kingdom has been taken away by the Assyrians, but there's so much, so much decay in the southern kingdom of Judah by this time that God has to punish them. God has no choice but to punish them. He's warned them, he's warned them, he's warned them, he's warned them, and now they're carried off to Babylon. Listen, ask me, let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like you lived in a country that was so full of moral decay that it was hopeless? Yeah, we know what that feels like. Does it mean God's not in control? Does it mean God doesn't notice? Is Babylon the last word in this chapter? No, it's not. Is today's moral decay the end of God's story for us? We don't know what the story exactly holds, but we know it's a good one. And we know that God writes it. And God's written a pretty good one so far, right? So, we can bemoan our moral decay, but God never forgets His promises. And we're never too far gone for God to fix us. That's our street view as a society. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Sheltiel. Sheltiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiud. 
Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, Achim begot Eliud, Eliud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Methan, and Methan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So he takes the line all the way down to Jesus. God didn't forget them while they were in Babylon. God's plan is perfect. God's timing is perfect. Notice this line goes, this line goes th- to Joseph. And notice that Matthew is even specific enough to mention that Joseph was the husband of Mary, but Joseph was not the father of Jesus. Right? Joseph was the adopted father of Jesus. The Holy Spirit was the biological father of Jesus, if you will. And so the, the royal line that was prophesied would have gone to the Jewish audience would have gone to the earthly father. In this case, the earthly father was Joseph. And so this royal line goes to Joseph. If you want to be complete, there's also a genealogy in the book of Luke that goes through Mary. So that takes care of the biological line. All right. And so um, just for completeness. And so God doesn't forget God brings the line down to Jesus. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity of Babylon to the Christ are 14 generations. So God knew what he was doing all along. He brought it to pass and Jesus came to earth. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So in your own, like, street view life, have you ever felt like you've been betrayed by somebody? You ever found yourself in a difficult situation somehow maybe because of that person's betrayal or because of just crazy weird circumstances that are leaving you sort of backed into a corner of like, what am I going to do? I'm in this difficult situation and there's no good options. You ever felt like that? You think Joseph felt like that? Does that mean God forgot him? No. Did God take care of Joseph and Mary? Yes. Does God take care of us? Even in difficult situations? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. For us, as we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure, let me just say this. For our part, look to Joseph and the example of Joseph. Is Joseph getting even? Joseph has been, on a street view level, Joseph has had the ultimate betrayal of betrayals, right? And how does he handle that? With bitterness, revenge, anger, hostility, any of that? No, amazing compassion and mercy. You know, if someone has done you wrong, I I just feel the need to say this. If somebody's done you wrong, Sometimes it's okay to protect yourself from being done wrong again. I get that. But grace and mercy goes a long way. 
there is just not much I can think of that speaks louder than grace and mercy and compassion. It's amazing how powerful of a force that is. Forgiveness, even forgiveness that's not asked for, is amazingly powerful. And at the end of the day, is that not what Jesus did for us? So Joseph, I love Joseph because Joseph is, is sort of, you know, I kind of like underdog, underdogs. Fair enough? Joseph is like one that there's not a lot of big biographies that are written about Joseph for some reason. Joseph's not like, you know, you know, if you got a, if you had a top 10 in the Bible, right? Somebody's writing a top 10, you know, David's going to be there, right? Daniel's going to be there. Those, those guys, those cool guys are there. I picture Joseph as just like, yeah, that's fine. I'll just do my job. In my mind, Joseph's a rock star. Really, based on that verse I just read. Joseph had amazing compassion for his betrayer. Amazing. But, verse 20, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So it's hard to get your head around having a pregnant fiancé, and you have a dream, and like the Holy Spirit tells you, it's all good, don't worry about it. And here's what you need to do. You need to take her as your wife and you need to name that baby Jesus. In your street view world, have you ever felt like God just like maybe spoke to your heart, maybe a thought in your head that makes you think, that's just kind of crazy. Can I tell you something? It may be crazy, but if it's if it's consistent with the Word of God, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that God will, and I'm not giving you a formula or anything like this, okay? But sometimes God will put a thought in my head, or sometimes I'll have a thought in my head, let's put it that way. Sometimes I'll have a thought in my head that comes out of nowhere. And... It's a thought that's consistent with the Word of God and the nature of God. And oftentimes with it comes a, a, comes a, a need for me to act on that thought. It's simple as that. It's not, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting weird on you. You know, everybody's got a different doctrinal background. Half of you are saying, wait a minute. Half of you saying, finally, come on, get, let's get this thing going. Right? But no. Sometimes I'll have a thought in my head that comes out of nowhere, consistent with God's word, consistent with God's character, and with it comes a call to action on my part. 
And if I recognize it as that, I'm accountable now for that information, right? And I need to act on it. Fair enough? Joseph, he gets this dream, and he acts on it. So, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. I love this. The scripture sort of says, okay, you've got all these sort of street view situations, and I'm working them out all in this. And then it's like he pauses to give us a, a street view or a, a earth view. And says, by the way, all we're doing here is fulfilling prophecy. It's like Matthew gives us that. By the way, all we're doing here is fulfilling prophecy that said, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was all foretold by prophecy. By the way, there are things yet future that have all been foretold by prophecy, right? Which, by the way, as I'm thinking about it, we'll hear about that next week, right? We'll get a sort of a prophecy update next week for the end of the year. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took, him, took to him his wife and did not know her, that means physically know her, till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. This is interesting as well. Notice the importance of Joseph's faithful obedience. Notice the critical importance of Joseph's faithful obedience. I'll leave you with this. So, you're Joseph. You felt betrayed by your fiance who's now pregnant. The Holy Spirit comes to you and says, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. She's been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Take her to be your wife. All right? So he takes her as his wife, right? Now, again, I want to be sensitive, right? But it'd be real easy for Joseph to say, no big deal, she's already pregnant. Who's going to know? Fair enough? She's already pregnant, who's going to know? How many critics of the authority of the scripture have we had over the centuries? A bazillion? Yeah. yeah. Maybe a trizillion. Bunches. Right? Bunches of critics of the authority and the authenticity of the scripture. And Matthew is outlining with exquisite detail now that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he's actually the fulfillment of the prophecy that said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, does it matter that she's a virgin and that we know she is by the time Jesus is born? It matters. It matters hugely, right? How tempting would it have been for Joseph to say, yeah, no big deal. 
Uh, you know, I obeyed that dream thing. I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm batting 50%. You know, that's pretty good in some sports. He totally could have done that. But it says, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and it took, her, took to him his wife and he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. We know that that is not Joseph's biological child. And that matters. Let me ask you this. In your street view world that you live, does obedience to God matter? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Obedience to God matters. When you find yourself saying, it's no big deal, who's going to know? God does. Right? God has the Google Earth view. God has the street view. God knows our street view. Right? And we should take comfort in that. We should take comfort in that. doesn't mean like, you know, God's, you know, oh, be careful little feet where you go for the Father up above is looking down in love, right? Sing that song in Sunday school. Always made me feel kind of like, uh, I don't like the theology of that song. I'll just say it that way. <laughs> right? No, be careful little eyes what you see because God's watching. Right? God's looking down. He's going to get you. That's not the heart of God. Does our obedience matter? Yeah, it totally matters. Totally matters. But along the way, were there some pretty crazy stories that, that culminated in the genealogy of Jesus Christ leading up to his birth? Some pretty crazy stories. Does God know our situation? Yeah. He knew their situations. Does God take care of our situation? Yeah, he took care of their situations. Does God know the number of hairs on your head? Yes. Does God know what you're concerned about today? Yes. And that's why Jesus came. If I were God and I brought my son into the world, I would have done it wrong. God did it right. God did it right. God wanted us to see his character. God wanted us to see his compassion. God wanted us to see that he identifies with our fears and our vulnerabilities. And his love and his plans override all of our situations. And we can rest in that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you know our situations and yet you're in control of the world somehow you can do all of that and we often so often only see our situations and so Lord we thank you that you have such love and grace and mercy and compassion toward us we thank you that you came to earth for us to meet us where we're at And Lord, we thank you for who you are. Have your way with us, please, Lord. 
as we approach this new year. Please guide us and lead us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Merry Christmas.